Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Documentality, part of the Friends in Your Head network at friendsinyourhead.com. Each episode, we examine two or more documentaries through the lens of a common theme. But this episode is so big, we have to split it into two parts. For today, please enjoy part one of Documentality's look at autobiographical docs. I like that that's become your thing now. I'm your host, Eddie Doty, and to my left is T. Christie. I'm Mr. Sound Effects Man. On today's episode, our special guest is actress, comedian, and host of Who Charted and Two Charted on the Airwolf Network and director of the upcoming documentary origin story, Kulap Vilaisak. I had heard of this film via Twitter. Uh, someone had retweeted the link to it, and I clicked on it, and I was, I was pretty fascinated immediately. I was aware of Kulap a little bit from her work on uh, The Office and Parks and Rec. Uh, if you ever watched The Office, she was in the Benny Hanna Christmas episode. If you uh, ever watched Parks and Rec, she plays uh, Ben's stepmom in a really funny couple episodes there. Um, and I was really impressed with the fact that for her first film, let alone first documentary, she is tackling what is pretty heavy emotional stuff just based on a little bit of footage that's made, been made public. Yeah, man, she's coming at it strong and it's, it sounds like it's gonna be really cool. It's pretty damn courageous, and, and the reason why I'm kind of you know, and, and on part two, which will air be an episode, you know, to be named later, we're gonna to talk to another director who his first documentary was um, was, was autobiographical right out the gate. But what drew me to Kulops is you know I'm kind of fascinated in general by uh, films that deal with identity, you know, grappling with identity and how identity informs how we interface with the world and sort of it's, it can be your identity can be this cocoon that protects you or it can be this unstable thing that um, makes you a complete mess. And usually for most humans, it's both things at once. And I'm, I'm fascinated with films in general that play with that. I think on, you know, our sister podcast, what are you doing movie and uh, the intermission? I've, I've mentioned this a few times, but I, I was really fascinated with what I saw and I was really, um, I was really excited to talk to Kulop. Uh, she, and, she and her producer, Lauren, invited us down to the Earwolf Studios, which very grateful again to do. Uh, we conducted this interview a couple days prior to this recording, and uh, we're actually going to go to that now. Yeah, it's, we, we can just do whatever. You could roll now, and we could get one of those, you know, kind of candid moment intros, like right now. <laughs> Coming to you semi-live, and by that I mean not live at all, I am at Earwolf Studios talking to the director of the upcoming documentary, Origin Story, Miss Kulap Velisok. That's right. I did it. Great I'm, job. How are you, Kulap? I'm good. So uh, this Edward, is, may I call you Edward? You, you can call me Edward. You can call me Eddie. Okay, uh, you prefer Eddie. I prefer I Eddie. <laughs> that's it. like that's like the friendlier thing. Edward is reserved for like moms and bosses, and my IMDb page and royalty and and <laughs> exactly yes you know. Um, so this uh, I saw the trailer uh, a couple weeks ago and I was really kind of fascinated right away for a few reasons. Um, this is your first film yeah jesus that's some shit can i swear absolutely yeah no we're, uh, what, I did, no, I we're totally check, good i gotta check in with him like no we're cool. totally good totally <laughs> good uh well before we get into like your first film let's talk about sure. your first you uh so the film was called origin story so you, before we get into the origin story of origin story let's get into the origin story of you you were born in laos i was born in washington dc our nation's capital that's right your parents were from laos that's right okay so take us just the the, the cliff notes version of my parents had sex okay rad and then <laughs> nine months later From forth their loins <laughs> sprung you <laughs> what's your middle name tukta tukta that's it sounds pretty lashing right okay it means doll nice my my brother is half chinese and oh. his mother's name was Gyushe, but they just called her jen for some reason so most people like even Lao people have american names right um, like phil 
yeah, or Carol, <laughs> right. Nancy. You know, like when you go, much like the Venus, Vietnamese ladies that do your nails. You know, like <laughs> sure, fair enough. Their names. Her name is is not Paula. There's not <laughs> there's not ten thousand people named Tina. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's so right. so you were born in Washington D.C., but your parents like your parents had like a hell of a sort of process of getting here. Yes. Um, my parents uh, are from Laos, and Laos, if you don't know already, is a landlocked country between Thailand and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was post-Vietnam War. This was um, when the communists was uh, were in charge, and they're still in charge of the country, and they were really interested in, in keeping, it, keeping this new power. Uh, and that meant uh, snuffing out a lot of. Um, oh, that helps. <laughs> is that what, is that one sagging on you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. Here we go. There, there you go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Stop down there. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Much better. Okay. Cool. Sorry about that. No worries. I'm just gonna. Um. I was like, why? Oh, <laughs> Mike's this mic. <laughs> What's happening? Way over there. Um, okay, so the communist regime um, was uh, making people disappear, basically. Yeah. People who had uh, prior uh, prior resistance, who had resistance then. Um, my mom said that when she was in med school, like people would just disappear. They would be, uh, you know, possibly at work camps, taken to work camps, or they were just shot killed right. and that's kind of where they were at um but my parents they they i mean i wonder how far i should go into it but it was not even just it was a, a, a tumultuous time in lao history but it was also i I've, I've learned through this process through this documentary that my parents are risk takers mm-hmm. um and they both wanted a bigger life and in many ways, the tragedy of what was happening, the uh, the influx of Laotian people to Thailand, to to not only the U.S. to France, um, was an opportunity for for both of them. Right. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's you know, it's kind of, I mean, and it's weird because my father was like. You know, he was 41 when he had me and my mom was like a significantly younger. So there's like this whole mythology of like my father because he was in the military and he, you know, lived overseas for many years. And, you know, his second wife uh, my, you know, was Chinese and my brother's half Chinese and his first wife was German. And my brother's like half German, which whatever, we're all white. But like there's like a mythology of like my father's origin before he came to me. And I was sort of grew up in the specter of that. Now, you were born in Washington, D.C. Yeah. How much of like. It almost feels like mythical and epic, and it seems like it would feel like kind of like this big grand story that just culminates in your existence. Well, it's sort of weird because these are all things I found out on my own <laughs> in many ways. Um, because um, you know, my parents and I started. I was born in D.C. We pretty quickly ended up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And we learned English at about the same rate, and then I surpassed them and made fun of their accents. <laughs> they weren't big fans <laughs> of that, and, and oftentimes me. Um, so there was living in the dichotomy of the two worlds of school was one way, home was another way, and we had constant conflict. So things about Laos and were, Laos was a place that was used as punishment. If I was bad, I would be sent there. 
Um, <laughs> so it's like, eat your peas or you're on the next plane yeah, to Laos. Yeah, it's a long flight. Right. Um, or it's like just things, I think, uh, well, I guess the perfect example is when I was 14, I found out my dad wasn't my real dad. Right. And how I found out is that they were fighting. And my mom was complaining about him to me and I stood up for my dad and she said, why are you defending him? He's not your old dad. And this was probably one of the worst things, but I have to really impart that that was how I found out things about myself, about our family history. And that led me to not want to lift up rocks because... Who knows what else Who knows? And when my mom would answer a question... I like to say she was a sphinx because, okay, all right, that question's answered, but then so many more questions are unearthed. So I really, we lived a lot in the present, to be honest. And for people who were leaving, they, my mom, like I said, I've learned, learned stuff, you know, in the last couple of years I didn't know before that I could, so we, I think a lot of Lao kids can relate to this. You sort of, they don't, elders don't talk about stuff and you sort of hear little things maybe when they're a little drunk but then there's no follow up to well what did that what happened to you or they're just sort of in between drunkenly singing you know the Eagles uh, Hotel California like something oh some nugget will drop and go well we what oh they're too drunk to really you just it's just shadows and you don't know what's real and so I you know, my mom said, like, she, when she left her small town to go to Vientiane to go to med school, um, there were bodies in the river. Jesus. You know? Um, and then on top of the fact that just, like, growing up and just, you know, just be, always being a very know-it-all kid. So, you know, me and my mom have just always locked horns and just, like, I know more than you do, you know? <laughs> like, I just, right. uh, so it's like, I wasn't really, to be fair to her, I probably wouldn't, wasn't really listening either. Right, right. So, in terms of mythology, the only mythology that was in my head were the stories that I read about, like, Zeus and then later about, you know, superheroes and comic books. Right. It just, I'm just saying, like, it, it's, it's almost like, that whole like you were saying about lifting up a rock and not knowing what's going to be under there it's like it's almost like your your parents lives and stories almost take on that mythical shape it seems that's like that's true you know what i mean so it's like that's i mean that's that's really interesting when did you um were you always drawn to acting and comedy and did that play a part in sort of like trying to process some of the stuff because I mean being 14 is hard enough yeah and then sucked. and then finding out about that you know i mean it really screwed with my identity right like it really did <laughs> Right. This idea of that everybody knew about me continues to like, in many ways, manifest itself. I'm tr- I'm like you know I'm trying to work it out, mm-hmm. but th- I remember that moment distinctly and just realizing how everybody knew, all the adults knew more about you than you. Yeah. 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 And that's like, ooh, like that'll fuck with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because then I find out, you know, I mean. Yeah, like that my dad adopted me and I was more, I always thought I looked more and was more like my dad. And then now these two sisters that I have who are much younger than me, you know, they're my half sisters. So what does that mean? And well, maybe I should have known since I'm literally like one head taller than everybody in my family. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's like all, all of these things. 
it's just like okay and then the other part of that too was um there were plans made to help to at least connect with his family that lived like a couple hours away from us in Minnesota. Oh wow. And then when things didn't pan out and uh, like a couple weeks go by, a month goes by, I heard through the grapevine that my father didn't want him to didn't want his family to be around me for fear that he would that I would ask of him child support. Mm. So this whole thing that I didn't want to happen that I didn't choose that I, you know, I didn't want another dad and now I'm rejected by this guy. Yeah. It like, I was like, the, it, I put it away, but like, you know, you and can't you're really a, put those away. You're, <laughs> like, you're still a teenager at this time. Yeah. Like you're still like in the well, process. I'm still 14. Yeah. So all, so all of this isn't like the same year time frame where you've, where you're able to like sort of kind of reconnect with him and then his family dissuades. Oh no, no, no. This was in a month. <laughs> Jesus. This was in, this was within a month. No, my mom told me then she was very upset and then she, I went to sleep crying and then she woke me up and put a phone on my ear and I was speaking to an uncle I've never heard of mm. before and he says he's missing me. Jeez. And then he's gone. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a lot for anybody and that's a lot in one day. That's a lot of stuff to do in just sort of one day and then one month. How did you, how did you sort of, from you know the time you're 14 and you find this out until adulthood, how did you grapple with this like how did you was, were there more efforts did other plans fall through did you lose contact zero zero efforts really it's kind of amazing uh and and i'll i'll totally take this on like if not for this project this documentary left to my own devices another 20 years would have could have gone by like honestly because right. let me like i didn't even ask his name until and this is look guys I know this is embarrassing right I'm just going to tell you I'm going to tell you uh, when I'm 30 I decided I'd get into like some like astrology and stuff and I needed to know my birth time and then my mom didn't know exactly I wanted to get like a birth certificate like to get like the real time of birth and to do that I needed to know my father's name and that was like when I was 30 right. and then my mom was like oh his name's Tavi Sock I'm like Okay, what's his last name? He doesn't have a last name. What does that mean? He doesn't have a last name. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, and so I hadn't tried. Like, what does that tell you? Yeah. I compartmentalize right. to I, I when I heard I just put it away. <laughs> right. Um, and I just wasn't ready to know. So there was no trying, and it wasn't until I didn't try to reach him until well this is august till march of this year and i'm part of the process of this film yes and i met him in april wow well do you think that is i mean is it is it too obvious or on the nose or completely unrelated at all that you know your ability to sort of compartmentalize and stuff sort of led to your profession as an actress and a comedian probably probably <laughs> is, it, is it is it something that you've given thought to before or is it probably like, yeah i think so well, How did you get into comedy and acting? Um, and which came first? <laughs> the chicken. <laughs> uh, acting. I did acting. I guess first, I used to be really afraid to be in front of, to like do speeches at school. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Mr. Kim Waltman put me in speech. And then I did humorous interpretation. 
did that very well. Right. And that led to being in like school plays and always playing comedic roles. And then I thought, okay, well, college, I remember 18, it's like I got to do something. Well, I'm not a very good Asian. I'm not good at, I can't, my grades are not good enough to become a doctor or a dentist. Any type of hygiene situation, no. Um, lawyer, uh, business, I can talk. Yeah, I like business. What do I like? I like fashion, which led me to LA, and I went to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. Oh, cool, fight them, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I went there for two years, and then really, really soon realized, like, I can do this. I got a job almost immediately, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was actually one of the first sales reps for Ed Hardy before oh, Christian Adagene bought it. Right. So I just missed that money train. Um, <laughs> probably that Coke train, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if we're being honest. If we're being allegedly. honest. Allegedly. Allegedly. Of course. Of allegedly. course. Please don't sue me. I'm raising money. Um <laughs> Uh, so I started going to Second City. Second City led yeah. to the Upright Citizens Brigade. Right on. Right down the street from here, actually. That's right. Yeah. Beautiful Hollywood, California. Hollywood. <laughs> so, you, so and then from, and that kind of launched your career to like where you are now, because you host a couple different shows. And yeah. You, you know. Well, podcasting took it to a personal next level. Right. Because kind of back to your question, because, you know, the car. I think what I was the compartmentalizing was getting my foot in the door, but it wasn't making me a really good actor because podcasting. What I realized with podcasting was that the first time I was I felt okay and was um, embraced as just being myself to inner just as myself. And I think in the past when I was acting, I kept I always thought, well, this is what they want. Barely bringing myself into anything because it's like, oh, they're looking for this type. And a lot of it was just based on what I thought they wanted and not doing the best cool up, like the best sort of authentic cool up for this role. That's really what anybody wants, you know, but I just put so many levels and, (laughs) and walls in front and it was podcasting that really helped me break through and really learn how to be authentically myself. Right. Um, cause I was afraid to before. Do you think that this ability to sort of access and interface with your genuine self that came about through podcasting? Through podcasting, through therapy, through a shaman. Through a weird uh, Israeli lady who would yell at me and tell me to breathe, and then I wouldn't breathe and then say I was breathing. Like, it, <laughs> did through that, a lot of <laughs> weird shit. Did, did, yeah, did all that like point in the direction of you saying, like, okay, I need to make a documentary about this story? Did it point yes. directly at it? Yes. What was it? What was like the moment of revelation where you were like, I need to do this and I need to do this now because i remember um my friend seth morris i hilarious funny uh comedian uh artist also known as bob duca (laughs) um look him up if you don't know him um he i've tried to talk about my family i've done um i thought about doing a one-person show i thought about doing um i've written so many essays about it i've done storytelling shows um, but it just, I don't know when I was doing it, I just kind of felt like I was like, pre- like presenting it, mm-hmm. you know, like this is, this happened. I'm fine with it. Like it's, it's yeah. Like, like you're almost like you're selling it. Like here's a, here's a car. Yeah. Here's a car. There's a car. And I'm not attached to it in a right. weird way. Right. Um, and then, uh, filmmaker and good human extraordinaire, um, Lance Bangs came, came to my house and he asked 
me to be interviewed for this Vice series he was doing called Young Americans. And he came to my house and he had a camera and a couple of mics and a slider. And uh, he was asking me about my parents. And the combination of me talking about immigration being Asian American um, and just kind of like watching his setup and going, huh, maybe this is the way that I can Mm. communicate and tell the story. So once you kind of made that decision and like you kind of open that door to documentary being the best way to tell it, like what was your, what was your next step? Did you assemble a team? Did you, was there a person that was like your, your go-to person? Like, should I do this and how? And Lance. please help Lance. <laughs> I forced him into a mentorship. <laughs> nice. He didn't ask for right. it, <laughs> but he was so, so, I mean, he's a very busy man and, um, but he, he really helped me out in the very beginning. He helped me pick out the camera and the lenses and we talked about like kind of where to begin and and it's so this project has naturally evolved because i just was like i got to do this like and then came people have just showed up in and the right people have showed up for me in this um in some ways that i just can't even like i couldn't have even predicted or even hoped for mm-hmm. because Lance helped me. Okay, well, I, I'll learn. I realized I took a class in uh, Santa Monica. I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out how to like edit and use it. And I was like, I can't. It was like a three-day, <laughs> like, I I did a three-day workshop that was right. like nine to five. I took notes, and I was just like, it's just not, I don't have it. I'm like, oh, crap. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> uh, my plan initially was just go home and I started get my parents' stories. At this time, I'm not in it. At this point, I'm just like, let me just find out let them speak for themselves. That was my goal. I want them to speak for themselves and we'll see what comes from it. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of put it out there and two of my listeners were like, we'll help you shoot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was like, thank you. <laughs> like, thank you for that. Well, and your, um, your husband is Scott Ackerman. That's right. And, uh, what has, you know, his spouse, what, what has his, was this something he always sort of encouraged you to do? Like, uh, you know, just as a husband, like even prior to like doing a documentary, was this, what did he try to like, not persuade or push, but like encourage you to try to go deeper into these issues? Um, he's so supportive. I don't know if he's ever, he's been so supportive. I mean, it's again, it takes a strong man to accept that your woman sees a shaman who is a white lady from Vermont named Sarah. Um, so in that right. way, he's super supportive. But I remember there was, Oh, let's see. Um, maybe it was like a couple years ago. And he was like, I think we were talking about having kids. And he was basically like, like I really, it's important to me that you are doing stuff that you want to do and you don't feel like you haven't done them. He was like, I want you to go ham this year. <laughs> like, hard as a motherfucker. Right. Um, so in that way, he's so supportive. So whatever it was going to be. Whether, but it wasn't specifically this or specifically not necessarily okay. he just wants me healthy and happy and I go get what I yeah. need to get basically. and so you so now that you have you've you started to sort of assemble your team and you've got the support and you know from your listeners it sounds like you're you're staffing it's you know it's yeah. like, I mean that's completely that's buoyed awesome. by my listeners so you launched your Indiegogo campaign for this film pretty much you had already you've already shot a good amount of footage from what I understand yeah so okay a year ago I went to Minnesota um, 
interviewed my dad, and then that's when the project really started to take shape. Right. And it was different. I became... Just to be clear, you're, you're the father who raised you or your biological father? The dad that raised me. Gotcha. He was the one who suggested last summer that I look for my father. That right. wasn't even something in my mind at that point. Mm. Um, and I was like, why? He's like, he probably misses you. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I'm having so much trouble with my mom. My mom's a gambler. She's just like, it's just, uh, you know... So, and she didn't want to be interviewed at that time. Right. So, it sort of, things started to formulate um, in, the story sort of took, started to take shape. And then it became clear that I needed to be in front of the camera, um, which was not my intention. How did that decision come about? Because that's always, that's always the line in the sand for a lot of documentary filmmakers. It's like, to put myself in front, to narrate it. And to what degree is this? Yeah. Is it, am I going to be a Stacy Peralta or a Nick Broomfield? Like, am yeah. I going to be like just a voice in the chorus or am I going to be front and center in this thing? And what sort of inform, what was that moment where you're like, yep, we got to do this? Hmm, probably that first interview with my dad because he started, my dad doesn't speak very often and he had, he, te- he testified for three hours and he needed to talk. And I was told things that I have never heard right. in my life. And we didn't have the camera on me, but you can hear my sobs. Right. And you can hear these like revelatory things about my existence happening. Right. And then it's like, well, there's no, there's no other option. It would be disingenuous to not include you at this point. No. Yeah. No. And it became... <sighs> This thing, this thing, this project is like trying to put form to the formless. That's what I've been trying to do with these mm. essays and with, you know, just like trying to like see for myself and like be personal respons- personally responsible, see where my parents' choices end and where mine begin, you know? And it's about healing myself. Right. That's a huge part of it. So I got to be, I got to be a friend on the camera. <laughs> so so, so that, that was that. Um, in terms of, you know, I, I know you, you intended the documentary to sort of start one way, but it's evolved into sort of what you feel like the current shape is. And, you know, with you and you being the main character of this and you being an on-screen character as well as the director. Um, do you, and is there any, do you feel like everything at this point, you don't have to say anything specifically revealing about the film, but do you feel like at this point there's no, there's no more secrets to unveil. And at this point you feel like you've got your arms somewhat around what the story is at this point. Yes, I do have my, I mean, (laughs) like I said, there's more (laughs) to be revealed, but I don't think there's stuff there's what's to be revealed will not quake me to my core. Like it has, you know, I feel like, it'll be more par for the course. It's like, of course, if this is true, so this is also true kind of situation. But yeah, in terms of story, um, in terms of, I do feel like I have an idea. But that said, I'm. we started editing um, after Labor Day. And I mean, you're, you know, you're way more experienced than I am. It's like, I, I have this feeling that we have something, but it's like how we tell the story, how we weave it i mean like that it both excites me and terrifies me right at the same time were you terrified when you started filming was there any sure i was (laughs) i guess i've not stopped being terrified (laughs) (laughs) was there was there any was there any point where you felt like was there any point where you felt like um the the mantra that i think a lot of documentary filmmakers have was uh i am not qualified to do this i'm the wrong person Uh yeah yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) how do you how did you how did you move past that 
I guess um, I'm I'm the person who's like, like I like to think I'm like laid back and stuff, but really, is I plan to, I plan a lot so mm-hmm. that I can be laid back. At a certain point, I've had to give up control. That was part of like to explain. I I, I used to call this with my pals like this wellness train I went on mm-hmm. right around when I was 30 I turned 30 and I was like I don't like what's happening and I'm kind of not really into me and I don't think I'm doing the right thing I feel like I don't know if I'm I should be doing what I'm doing and I really sort of had a I, I need to make some changes and that kind of set me in a course of just like man in the mirror shit right looking at her you know <laughs> not liking it like you know and making big changes so I feel like all of that led up to this to being present and to like setting this up and going, all right, well, uh, we've done this. This is what we want to get. Just, you know, tear your heart out and see what, you know, you know, see it, what happens. It's funny you mentioned like being present in the moment. That's, that's kind of like a, that's a very like Buddhist mantra and stuff like that. That's like a huge cornerstone of it. And from the footage that I saw on your Indiegogo page, you actually go to Laos at one point, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, and it looks like you kind of take part in some sort of the, I, I don't want to just, I don't know if it was Buddhism, but it definitely looks like you're taking part in some sort of ceremony of some kind. So it seems like, I don't know how much, but does like, does faith play a part in this or, you know, you seem, you come across as a very spiritual person and that's a big part of your identity. How does that, is that going to be a theme in the film? Is that something that kind of anchors it or is it, am I just reading way too much into one shot? (laughs) Well, you're talking about the beautiful footage of Laos, which is a um, Theravada Buddhist, uh, um, their uh, country and there are um, beautiful, beautiful temples. There's a temple in every, you know, it's like churches, you know, and they're beautifully, they're ornate. Um, one of the places Southeast Asian Buddhist temples come correct, man. Like they, they do, they, they bring it. They really bring it. I mean, it's like you go to Zendos and like Tokyo and stuff, and it's very minimalist. But man, oh, the, no. the the Thai, the Laotian, the Burmese, cold. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> cold and dark too. There's one that are just like, oh, these are the, oh, this is Dante's Inferno done like <laughs> Lao style. Wow, with, like, a lot, with a lot of jewels. Murals. Yeah, a lot of yeah murals of, of just like, oh man, it's like, wow, this is really dark. Yeah. <laughs> like, but beautiful at the yeah. same time yeah no they, they you're right they come correct <laughs> those temples come correct um uh there i think there is i think there's i mean if not like overtly i think that's a theme right spirituality and just sort of like that it seems like that can it's giving of- up it's letting go. How can you let go if not? You know what I mean. Like a lot of, I mean, a lot of Buddhism is like sort of like about destroying the idea of an identity and destroying the fallacy of an identity. Because if you're if you identify with an identity, then you're only one thing, and you can never yeah. you're 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 you know you're immovable, and you can't grow and adjust and learn and be present in the moment. Yep. Was that something? Was that a process that you felt like paralleled what you were going through? Yeah. Uh, for most of my life, yeah. Right. <laughs> Leading yeah. Up there. yeah. Yeah. I mean, growing up in suburban America, like, I didn't want my name to be Kulop. Right. I would love to be, you know. Would have, that would have been dope as shit, though, because I read Tolkien, and I would have. <laughs> no, it wasn't, no, I'm, friends. I'm, I'm, I'm so. It I, wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to be Brittany. Right. <laughs> you know, it was weird because I, my brother's half Chinese. He's, I think his mother had, like, a lot of Mongolian in her because she was very dark complected for, oh. for Chinese. And so. That passed to my brother, who was you know he's he's Hapa. He's my my father is very white. Um, he got mistaken for Mexican growing up oh, wow. in the seventies. So he 
he was never he always said he was never bothered by racism just because they got the wrong race yeah. the entire time they just called him all the Latino yeah. uh, epithets and not the actual so it never Asian it just looks wow well, this is like, yeah, nothing I, to do with I, me I, <laughs> like, so, sorry bro I'm not a spick you know yeah I mean, like, yeah, yeah so. okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I say yeah. that jokingly, but no, yeah, I mean, no, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, grew up in Minnesota. I, um, let's see. When I was, we moved to Bloomington. Um, somebody shot. They thought we. I think they thought we were Korean, right? Or they thought we were Vietnamese. Flying bags of shit, BB through, like the window. I've been told to go back to my country. Um, but then, then to kind of to your point too, of just like I don't look loud. <laughs> I, you know, so yeah. I, people are, you know, because well, you're a mix too, right? Your father. Well, has it turns like, out, yes. <laughs> 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 um, I'm a bit of a Southeast Asian. My, my, I found out that my father is um, my grandfather's full, full Chinese. Right. Um, and my mom was like, I think he's part Chinese. So I was like, I was like, what do you think? Like I'm one eighth. She's like, sure. <laughs> like, <"All> right. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but Lao, Thai, East Indian. Mm. Um, I did the 23andMe thing. Have you done that yet? Yeah, it's awesome. It's pretty cool, Holy right? Crap. And I got in right before. Yeah, me know. too. Like literally yeah. a week before. Yeah. I did that and like I had a little more, I had a tiny bit more Native American in me than I thought, but I had a way more Irish than I thought. Really? So I got to like, I got, and my, my grandparents are all dead. So I got to be like, I got to get my mom drunk one night and be like, okay, what was up with grandma? Yeah. Like for real. Like what? Why, what's the deal? What's the deal? I thought she was Dutch. You oh, lied interesting. to me. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, 23andMe is awesome. I hope they bring it back. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the, and what we're talking about is at a certain point, um, they weren't allowed to say what illnesses you may be right. apt. They still are like, you know, like yeah. your um, ancestry in terms of yeah. like, well, the, I was a little disappointed that I, I thought I, I wanted to be a little bit more Neanderthal. I'm, I'm, I'm like <laughs> I have, no Neanderthal. I got, I got like 2% Neanderthal. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I got like 2% cool. Neanderthal. I know. Like, um, damn, I know. Which leads me to believe I'm alien. What? Just as I suspected. <laughs> Inception. Um, so, so ancient aliens. I know so, <laughs> aliens. We'll get a we'll get a still to where you can look like Mutikus or whatever. Um, so, <laughs> prior to this, prior to this, uh, you know, to your filmmaking process, obviously this was a big growth for you as you know as, as a human being and as like your sort of your personal identity and spirituality, but also as an artist, this is your first time just making a film. Yeah. So w- did you watch a lot of documentaries before doing this? And if not, did I you- love documentaries. Good. So what, what were like, what were, what were the ones that you sort of like, I want my film to be sort of in this range. It's sort of a little bit of, um, um, the stories we tell. And that was then- going to be my next question. Ah! <laughs> we did an episode on stories we tell oh, and so I good. loved it. And so I, I, you know, I think a lot of people have the reaction when they see you know, your footage. It's like, wow, that's in a, in a way similar to stories we tell. Well, yeah. Cause I told my DP, like what I, um, I was like, I want the, I love how beautiful it looks. Yeah. It's very clean. Very clean. Very, very clean. beautiful. Very Canadian. I- Yep. It's very like kind of blue tinged and kind of snowy yes, yes. and just sort of like, like. And then when you're inside, it's warm. Yeah. There's like a roaring fire and sweaters. We're, it looks like, you know, we're eating Tim Hortons. And like <laughs> my wife, my wife's from Buffalo. Fighting our so loonies. My wife is from Buffalo. So I get the yeah. Tim Hortons love, man. Yeah. I totally get Tim Hortons love. So yeah. So as yeah. you tell, obviously. And then um, I love the intimacy of, um, Oh my gosh! The uh, Oscar-nominated uh, documentary about the artist um, cuting the boxer. That was so good. I like the intimacy of yeah, cuting the boxer. Very intimate. And then also, um, um, oh shoot, Saigon. Um, um, oh, hello, Saigon. 
Oh, Saigon. Oh, Saigon. That's an older one. Yeah. Yes, it's older. Yeah, it's about older her, her going that, back I've, and meeting her sister yes, in Vietnam and yes, about that. So that. Yeah. Oh, Saigon. Oh, Saigon. That, that, so that, that was the three. That's that another, I, and that's another autobiographical one yes. too. Because autobiographical, because stories we tell and Oh, Saigon. But in terms of the like autobiographical where the director is telling specifically their stories, there aren't as many as you'd think. Um, you know, there aren't as, it's, you know, a lot of them, they're very personal stories like Capture and the Freedmen is a very personal, intimate story, but it's not told by, even though it relies so much on home footage. Yeah, but... I was gonna yeah. say by the clown. That's by the, the worst. I know. Cool <laughs> off. You mean stuff. you mean you mean a clown is involved? Anyway, um, <laughs> shock. Um, silly Billy. <laughs> silly Billy. Well, like Tarnation was the one that um, came to my mind, which was uh, the guy who um, his mother has mental health issues, so he basically has all these video diaries growing up of her oh, being crazy. Weird. I need to see that. So Tarnation is really solid, but that's what I mean. Was there any? And was there any sort of like? I mean, did you once you started to go down this path? Did you start like just consuming a lot of documentaries, like more than usual, or were there ones that you really loved aside from the ones we talked about, where you just kept revisiting? Not necessarily. I think once I began the process, like I just like I mean, I love Netflix, so it's like I would just watch it. But once I began this process, it's really been. I'm trying to think of a documentary I've seen since this year has gone by, other than. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your producer Lauren's oh, peeking okay. in. Peeking in. Yeah. Um, I think since we started, I haven't seen a doc since probably m- March. Yeah, you don't want to. Oh, con- other than Howard Kramer, my co-host, I did watch uh, Animal Odd Couples. I don't know if we're counting that. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a TV show, ain't it, or something like that, or it's like a TV doc. Uh, yeah, I guess it's a TV doc. It's yeah. just you know different types of animals who are pals. <laughs> There's the one. Uh, the one I liked was a uh, Mini Monsters, where it's just all about tiny animals. It's just like all. It's like high speed. Phantom Cam of Tiny Animals Animal Kingdom. I shit you not narrated by Peter Dinklage. Amazing. Amazing. And it's like it's like he's got a very soothing, kind of relaxing voice. And it's just it's it's a huge nod and wink, but it worked. Fantastic. It worked, I thought. Bravo, everyone. (laughs) Well done. We all did it. We all did it great. (laughs) We're so proud of ourselves. Yeah. Um so so was there any like because auto that you know, when I say there's not that many autobiographical docs, it's like there's not too many you can look at and be like, that one. You know, aside from stories we tell in Tarnation and Osaigon. So you're yeah. kind of in a lot of ways for your first doc, it seems like you're operating in a void of like, you know, you just got to kind of make it up as you go, it seems. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How has that process been for you? Um, It's been, you know, I, again, I, I will say that I've been terrified uh, again most of the time. But this, I've just been, you know, when we talk about spirituality in the sense that I've been so compelled to do this. And any time I wanted to quit, a hand would come out, be it, you know, meeting somebody who inspired me or who offered to help or, and there was just no way I could quit. And I've tried to quit many times, but it was like, no, this, it just keeps moving forward. Yeah. You know, I said to my team now, um, you know, about the Indiegogo, I was like, well, then we're going to definitely have to do it now. (laughs) Like we're asking for money, right? Like I've just, I just, it's, this project, I don't know. It <laughs> trust me. I like. I'm never. I yes, I'm an actor. Yes, I do a podcast. Like this level of vulnerability, it's raw, and yeah. it it really. It, I feel. I don't know. It's it's nothing I've ever experienced before. But it's. I have no doubt in my mind that's what I need to do. But my body's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, right. You know. 
I think it's, I mean, it's, it's funny you say your body too, because it's like, it is sort of like a, almost like a physical reaction to shield ourselves and our protect ourselves. You know? Yeah. Like, I'm proud of that. <laughs> I mean, and not just like from physical harm, like we get, we startle and we flinch, but like we have that physical need to like emotionally put people out when they, we feel like they're getting too close. So, and I think it's, it's interesting that so many documentaries that rely on laying yourself bare, you know, it's, it's like, it, it, I like the, I like the, I like the fact that you said it was a compulsion. Like you feel compelled to finish, like to finish this in spite of seemingly your, your mental health self-defense of, of stopping at any given yeah. time, which, you know, I, I get that. And that's, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Now, where are you in terms of you're about to hit you're 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 about to start post-production you said yes well uh our our assistant editor uh is now in her second week at this time of this recording right and then after labor day our editor begins and how long are you planned and budgeted to go into post for and a year okay that's i I think that's totally reasonable you think think it is okay cool i think i I mean as long as it's like full-time stuff as long as it's full-time yeah if it's full-time and it's yeah as long as it's it's not like a film student in their off hours then yeah you're totally fine okay okay the other element we haven't talked about yet too is that um the comic book illustration element which (laughs) that was going to be another one of my questions because you invoke origin story as a big comic book thing were you did you read comics growing up or no um, more so when I was growing up, I read a lot of like your, your Heathcliffs, your Calvin right. and Hobbes, your, um, and then graduated to naturally to Archie and Betty and Veronica. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and then it wasn't until I was about 18 or 19 when I started dating my husband, Scott, that I started getting into superhero right. comics, into the Sandman, into, nice. uh, Kabuki, um, into, I just, we read a lot in our yeah. house. Um, Gail Simone being one of my... Oh, no kidding. Favorite. She's favorite. amazing. Isn't, isn't she? she amazing? She's a, like, her run on Sinister Six, I think, was, or Secret Six was, uh, it's probably one of my favorite teams of all so time. Great. Yeah. So great. So yes, great. Yes. Secret, I mean, her Wonder Woman... Is amazing. I mean, amazing. it spoke to me. And there's the new one now, too. Yeah. The Sensational, which, yeah. uh, Sensation Comics, yeah. No, she's easily, uh, to me, there's like a, there's like a quadrinity of like her, Garth Ennis, Neil Gaiman, and, um, uh, Warren Ellis. And that's like, yeah. if I, if like I could only read those four for the rest of my life, you'd, I'd be fine. Number one, have enough to read. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. you'd be fine. Yeah. Well, do you know that she wrote me as a character? No. She wrote me. And now me- I must pester her on Twitter about this. <laughs> Okay, okay. Because we, we have a mutual friend. You grabbed your phone now. Do you have to do it now? Can no. We- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll put it down. All right. Fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> Damn it, leave me alone. Um, I'm she- twittering, Mom. <laughs> she, uh, I show up as a villain in Batgirl. No shit. Um, Her Batgirl run was amazing, too. Yeah, a yeah. Nightfall. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I was Catharsis. Gee, well, I will look that up. Catharsis's name is Kulap Vilaisak. And then she started the movement. I didn't read them. I'm a bad. Yeah. I'm a bad comic reader. That's I didn't okay. read the movement as much as I should. I moved on to that team. I'm a member of the movement. No shit. Okay. And so All she right. asked me. She she was like, "Hey, do you you know can I help with the origin story? Can I know more about you?" So she based Kulap that Kulap Vilaisak catharsis on my origin story. What a Mobius! Being. What a Mobius strip of art and like, yeah. yeah I don't crazy. know my origin story. I don't know it fully. Right. And it was when I was shooting it, and I I went down to WonderCon this past WonderCon. And oh like, yeah. Because I really was like, Gail, did you? Because she listens to my podcast. Dude, did you know about me? Like, did you know? Because <laughs> just the fact, like it, 
Are we I related? Just, How does that work? I was so excited that like, yeah. oh my, I'm in, a, I'm in the DC canon. Like, what an honor. Like, yeah, right? what a huge honor. I didn't, I breezed over catharsis. Right. Completely. And I'm I, doing right, this project yeah. and I was like. The, it's just that name, catharsis. <laughs> there's a million, there's a, such weight to it. And I was like, wow. Did you know? She's like, I mean, you know, like. Right. Because she's kind of a genius and brilliant. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So that's that part of it. So now the time element to bring, swing that around. All I'm the way like, back. I'm not saying everyone's scared when I say animation. I'm not saying animation, but I want the element of drawings and and animatics that people yeah. seem to be okay with that. But that you know, and that to be part of that to be a device, that to be a storytelling device. Right. DC is allowing us to use the character. I mean, that's amazing. They've been very cool. Um, not what I can't do, of course, is like animatic her, but she. Right. We can use the image. We can explain it. Because um, I saw on the on the origin story Twitter account, the icon is like a, you as a character. Yes, that was a very um, very talented um, uh, artist named Kevin Dalton. And what I my mandate for him to draw that was just like it's me, just casual. And the mm-hmm. only thing that is different is just having a mask. Right. Um, so that's going to be a, a big visual element. Then is that going to yes. how is that going to work? Is that going to break up story beats, or is that just going to be? To, to like recreate your story what, without giving too much away how is that going to leverage itself into the film I can definitely see a little bit of both like for you know talking about what happened when I was 14 right that seems ripe yeah because it's in the past and you can yeah. illustrate that yeah um, certain phone conversations perhaps right um, things yeah things that are in the past and stuff but I think there will be an element of but I I'm, I still need to find out. I don't know exactly. I have right. ideas. But it's, we're it, not going to know until we're in the lab, you know? Right. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's funny, too, because I, I, I was at Comic-Con and I interviewed, uh, we interviewed for the show, uh, Dana Nachman, who is the director of the Bat Kid Begins documentary, and they're on their own Indiegogo right now. And the link is on our forums. You can go check that out right now. Uh, but after you donate to Origin Story. Thank you, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but... Um, but their plan too is to use that sort of and that makes perfect sense because it's bat kid and so to throw that sort of comic book visualization on it and it makes perfect sense for both of you guys you know yeah. it, makes, it makes it makes perfect sense because like if we all if we for you specifically if we are like the heroes of our own story if we're the protagonist if we're on our own hero's journey then yeah you do need to know your origin story before you can really go forward i want to have a i want to have a kid <laughs> like right, right. uh i i want to not uh identify myself uh, with the past as much I want to just like let things go I want to I'm not saying that I'm not gonna bring like I'm gonna make mistakes with this kid I'm gonna you know but I I just feel like this first this chapter this documentary to me is an overwritten overindulgent <laughs> chapter that I uh, I want to have a last page for right yeah this is my Disneyland uh, fireworks at the end, you know, <laughs> like, and then there's a new day. There's just, it's right. just these thoughts I've had, this misinformation, this complacency, <laughs> laziness. Um, um, but is it really laziness though? Like, yeah, I, I a mean, little bit. Is, I think uh, there's a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, look, Hey, I'm, I, I ain't judging, but I'm just saying like the, I feel like for something this deep, it's, it's, it's beyond laziness. It's more yeah, than just, you know, it's, it's probably more than just, I mean, I, I, again, we're just meeting today, so I don't, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze, but you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm always fascinated about films about identity, which is kind of what brought me to your film to begin with. And the struggle for identity, I think, is like from the moment you're born, it's what you grapple with. And I don't think it's I, I don't think I, avoiding 
try or delaying try to find your own identity i don't think it comes from laziness i think it's something just fear yeah i mean it's i think it, it seems that way i've got no yeah i mean i mean yeah, i'm a born white dude but like i've you know we i've my family there's all these branches and trees and i've got i've got a half japanese cousin i've never met and I, you know my my other cousins are mexican so it's like this weird cthulhu like tentacles of how my of my own of my own like identity like sprawls (laughs) through and so it's like i've i've always grappled with how do i rectify that and how am i i've always identified as the black sheep of my own family how does what does that make make me then if like uh, you know how does that invert that and so i don't think it's laziness on your part per se or not at least primarily laziness you know yeah so i'm like uh, <laughs> I I'm also trying to learn how to be like a good parent to myself <laughs> instead sure. of which is just like nobody says anything as harsh as what I say to myself right. and my mom was really good <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's lazy like, right 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 you know and and to be so a little credit to myself and something Scott said too is that I couldn't have I wasn't strong enough till now to deal with this right. like if if stuff like this happened like even a year ago the the blinds drawn sleeping all the time like my my um it's not like i'm a big drinker when i get overwhelmed i just like sleep sure like i can straight up sleep alcohol like, will facilitate that yeah, yeah exactly but i don't even need that i'll just sleep right, like right. i don't want to deal i'll literally shut off i'll literally detach that you way. and my wife would get along great yeah <laughs> just, sleepy time yeah it's no naps yeah naps. like i i literally Eating and naps and it's it's uh, not to be like every time like i'm with my wife I, it sounds so jerky and paternal but i'm like have you eaten and slept yet like it's just if, you, if you're in a bad mood have you yeah. eaten and slept yeah yeah yeah, so, that's fair. Same questions for my three-year-old. So, you know. <laughs> Turns out it's like really like it's much easier to kind of be happy and uh, thoughtful when you're like full and yeah. you're not tired yeah. and you're not angry and you're not sad. But if you're those a combination of those things, it's like it's really easy to be a real dick. I'm sure sumo wrestlers are very happy people because all they do is sleep and eat and slap people. So <laughs> they get the frustration out. They're fed. They're, they've eaten well we should all be sumos i know right that's that, let's let's that should be that, that's the new that's the new uh sub headline for this podcast we should all be sumos <laughs> um so what are you so going forward you're kind of not in the home stretch but you're it's weird post it seems like the home stretch but it's like it's really where the rubber meets the road because yeah, it's like now it's like the work is fucking really beginning and then that was that feeling of like got this like going to laos and like arranging all that and meeting my father and then coming back and then but it's like you're right like this is the the factory like this is like brick and mortar now right. like it's just like building you've gone to this. home depot now you got yeah, yeah yeah right yeah. this frankenstein yeah seriously well i mean it's so you're anticipating a three-month process do you have a, a plan or a strategy in terms of like distribution or have you i mean you know if you, if you talk mean, to people you don't have to like say anything but no i mean well there were a lot of people would like to see it for submissions, but as you know, like submissions, like Sundance is like. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're it's now. You yeah. have to wait until next year, and so then you're talking 2016. Yeah. At best, and then do you really want to wait that long? I know, and then also it's like, okay, well, but then you only have one shot, right? And then you know, so, okay, well, December is you know South by Southwest, but then it's like you know, it's just yeah, we're still everything's still on the table. Sure. I just am like, what I don't want to do because originally. In the beginning of the process, it was like, we're submitting for Sundance. Like, we'll just see how it goes. Right. But now where we're at, that's an impossibility. Now, we can talk to them and kind of, 
you know, my um, producer, June Raphael, got a movie in a year ago, a couple years ago. So she has ends, you know, we're just but as you know, no guarantees. And right now I'm just really focusing on like, okay, because if I get too ahead, I lose focus. So let's get this film where it needs to be in this short amount of time and then go from there. And it's it's so weird too because you know in crowdfunding your a lot of the rewards are copies of the film and yeah you know, so it's you're in a weird way serving two masters kind of yeah. you know in terms of how you plan to distribute this thing and yeah, yeah I'm kind of in dealing with that as we speak so it's like I, I get that but um have, has the crowdfunding process for you been enjoyable so far or? it actually has <laughs> it yeah. has because you guys have a great presence social media wise I mean you guys uh, are all over the place thanks so. I really feel like I've been in this town since um, 98 mm-hmm. probably been involved with the alternative um, comedy scene since about 2001 I would say two, two, 2003 um, so I really feel like <clears throat> I've I'm cashing in on favors right you know um, that's what's happening right now. <laughs> well, I was waiting for the project, right? And this is the project, and I'm going all in on this. So I'm asking pals. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's probably no better project to ask your friends to go all in on than like your life defining, you know. That's heavy, though, isn't it? Right, <laughs> it is. But I mean, it's like you know, what uh, what else are you gonna have? You know, sketch comedy show. Like, I mean, you know, it's like, what are you gonna cash it in for? What better way than this? That's true. You know? That's true. So it's still hard though because. As a kid who <clears throat> whose mom asked her for money for gambling, it's hard for me to ask right things right like this. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money, and it's my first film, and it was really important that I get that trailer out to go. Like I, I went to this place. See, it's like it's not just you know shaky cam. Like this, this could be this is. The footage looks beautiful. The yeah. footage looks really good. Yeah. And if you would have told me prior to like seeing the trailer that you were a first time filmmaker, and it kind of is implied that you're a first time filmmaker, you know that you you know your your career's in comedy, but uh, I wouldn't have known because yeah. it, it looks really fucking good. Yeah. So the other thing that when you see the trailer too is what what uh is that there will be there there will be the thing about me is that it goes really high and low. Like I'll go to the darkest <laughs> in the depths. There will be. But there's, there will be comedy in yeah. it because um, my parents are funny. These, there's very situ- these, some of these situations are very funny. But um, for the trailer, it's it's not very funny. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I like I, well, I feel like those also kind of necessary too because I mean, I've I knew you from the office and Parks and Rec and and your podcast and everything. So I feel like you kind of had to get your 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 sort of heartstring bona fides going on in the trailer and it did it well i mean it it it's it was paced well it wasn't quite trailer it wasn't quite pledge video it did everything kind of at once yeah. uh it was one of the better ones i've seen oh, uh, God, you know what i mean so no for real because like it it was it was not overly wrought there were no i mean you kind of have to be like please make this happen uh that's a big thing now in pledge videos um yeah. and you were able i felt you were able to avoid doing that while still hooking the people and being like, yeah, okay, let's let's get on board with this. So, thanks. Man. Yeah, no problem. I mean, so to me, so if people wanted to pledge, 
where, where can they find where can they find stuff on this film I think the best thing to do is go to originstorydoc.com that's just uh, headquarters uh, you can learn more about me learn more about the story see photos also um, there's there's links to our Indiegogo page right on right on that website right on the website and then if people wanted to hear your show who charted that's just on iTunes and Stitcher and all that iTunes, stuff iTunes you go to earwolf.com we're part of the Earwolf Network it's called Who Charted <laughs> uh, I listened to a couple episodes it was very very funny thank you um and so yeah so we should be hearing about this sometime next year I'm assuming God willing God willing right <laughs> cool up thank you so much for joining us I really thank you it. thanks for coming out to Airwolf uh, our pleasure this is a rad studio so thank you thank you and again, we want to thank uh, Kulap Vlaisak, Lauren Tyree, her producer, and uh, Earwolf Studios for letting us use their space for this interview. Yeah, it was cool. Um, what, was your, what, did, what was your takeaway from the discussion? Yeah, you might not have noticed because I wasn't part of the conversation. I was sitting there writing levels the whole time, but I was there too. Uh, I came and helped set up mics, and then I sat there and listened to them talk um, and stared at them awkwardly and like just breathed heavily. It was, mm-hmm. I should have stopped earlier, but I, I had a thing going. I, I wanted to should have worn pants. Yeah. Um, I'm impressed by this because when I first heard about origin story, it reminded me most of stories we tell, which is sort of superficially a very similar sort of thing. Cover or, some of the same ground. We can't talk about that. Yeah. I mean, you know? not, not even like even just the theme of identity in that one. It's also, you know, it's an actress coming out of life and we don't know exactly what the sort of parental situation thing is. And there's a lot of things that are similar and I didn't like stories we tell that much. And, yeah, we, uh, we talked about that on a previous episode of this. You can find it in our yeah, archives. I got all I got all shitty at it. And <laughs> and I think I'm gonna like Origin Story a lot more just because I like the way it's kind of being approached. And then since that conversation, I, I just watched the video on our Kickstarter so I can know what we're talking about. Uh, Indiegogo. Indiegogo. Yes. Sorry. I was using it like the way you use Kleenex, but when you mean tissue, just Kickstarter. <laughs> Vaguely Yeah, Coke. You know, if you're from the Midwest, yeah. every soda is a Coke. Exactly. And yeah. uh it looks good and it's pretty and it's it's really well produced how much is she asking for currently as of this recording they're at forty six thousand of a one hundred ten thousand dollar goal that is flexible funding so they are going to get at least forty six thousand minus you know the fees that indiegogo takes from it so they're going to get this uh and as she said they're about 80 percent through of the way filming um so you know the movie is obviously still going to happen it's just you know as as kind of i told her off off uh off recording you know it's these things you know three months is absolutely possible but it's certainly also possible that in the process of editing this she finds the whole new, she, this whole new thing a whole new thing i mean there's yeah. i mean that's the literally every documentary goes through that there's not one documentary production in the history that i've i'm aware of with maybe the exception of Errol morris films where they're like yeah we're gonna be in post for 10 weeks and we're done and you know it's just not it's not that's not ever like it's never going to be that cut and dry especially i would imagine for a first-time director covering material that is extraordinarily challenging and really and weird and abstract abstract it's an it's an you know existential is a word that i think is too it sounds airier than it really is it just means you know existence the nature of existence and this is a story that's going to be largely about coming to terms with who you are and what that has to do with what you thought of yourself and all those things that it you know it, it could be heady or not, but in any case, it's not an easy thing to tell a story about. I went to the store today and bought a tomato and came back is an easy story to tell. I don't know who I am anymore. It's trickier. Right. No, I mean, and especially like, you know, as she says in, in our interview, it's in the span of one day, you know, she went from thinking her, you know, having an established identity and it's tough enough being 14, but to have in one day, have your entire identity ripped out from underneath you. And then by the end of that day, you're talking to relatives you didn't even know existed or should exist. Um, so, and, and it's, you know, it's interesting and it's, uh, I, I've, I autobiographical documentaries are 
they're rare, believe it or not. It's it's there's plenty of biographical docs. Oh, sure. I mean, I'd say a third of documentaries are probably biographical in some sense or another, but autobiographical it is extraordinarily challenging. I can't think of one that I've seen other than stories we tell. Now, off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Well, there's a couple we referenced in the in the um, in the interview itself. We you know we talked about Tarnation, which is a film that I'm a very big fan of. Um, Tarnation was about this guy, Jonathan, I can never pronounce his last name, Jonathan Cowett, I believe. Um, over 20 years, he shot a bunch of footage on VHS and Super 8 uh, and a ton of photographs. And it's basically him chronicling the story of his mother's descent into mental illness. Um, oh, man. It's, it's tough, man. It's, it's a, you know, I think it's, it's about 10 to 15 years old. I think I want to say 2003. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a challenging film. And plus, you know, for him during this process, you know, he, he's discovering his sexuality, he comes out. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts there, but you know, was it good? It was very good. (laughs) Yeah, it was really good. It's, uh, in, in some, in a weird way can be exhausting and like really heavy stuff can be exhausting. You know, it can be like, just like, Oh Jesus Christ. It's like, and especially it gets really uncomfortable because there is that sense of intimacy. It's not, you know, capturing the Freedmans isn't autobiographical, but it's biographical and it's certainly intimate because you're in so many of those home movies for these extended periods of time. So Tarnation in a lot of respects was like that. Um, The other one that she referenced was Oh Saigon, which came out about, uh, it came out after uh, Tarnation. I want to say 2006, seven ish. Um, And that was, and that one I could see more of a direct through line. Uh, Don Huang, um, he basically about his family separation during the fall of Saigon. So there were a lot of, and that, that was one of those things that came up through the Sundance doc lab, uh, which, you know, pay attention to this space. We're going to be, we're going to be covering some stuff about the Sundance Institute's upcoming documentary short lab for a future episode. But, uh, Osagon again, very well received and I could see how, and I believe he was a first time director as well. Um, and so, you know, I could see her looking to that film for a lot of inspiration. And obviously the, the easy one was stories we tell, um, to my mind, you know, that one's, stories we tell I still stand by it I think it's a, I think it's an outstanding film I know you weren't as big of a fan no but <laughs> which is fine I mean, you can listen to that but you know for me I, I feel like you know the, the process of telling a story you kind of gain control of the narrative we talked about in the episode and I feel like that's not necessarily what Kulap is trying to do here she's not trying well, to gain the thing control that I, of the narrative the most strongly reacted to out of stories we tell negatively was uh, and it, it was an affectation it was a, uh, it was part of the sort of visual aid part of the documentary, not the actual content or really the approach. It was parts of the reenactments that got me. So sure. That's not something that's like inherent to the idea of doing autobiography. Uh, no, it's just, it's inherent to, to Sarah Polly's yeah, like it's, choice. It, yeah, and it's inherent to that movie. It's not inherent sure. to this idea. So I'm, I'm holding out hope that it's, it's just that I don't like story. Would tell. And, no, and I get that. I just, school up seemed really cool. Yeah, no, and I, I would say, I would say that, um, you know, thematically as well. I, I feel like they were after two separate things. I think, you know, I think, I think Sarah Polly and and in the story, in the story of stories we tell, Sarah Polly and all of the other people involved in that story are trying to kind of plant the flag first in terms of creative ownership of telling the story, and that's where some of that conflict arises from. Yeah, and I feel like with this, Kulop is not trying to claim ownership she's just trying to accept you know the uh, you know she said this is like she wants to this is the last page of this story that she wants to just close the book on before she starts a new one yeah you know when she starts her own family and that's and and, and believe me I, as a as a father myself i get that i i get you know there is it's challenging enough being a parent um but when you're trying to lug this baggage around with you of your own past 
it can be really, really, really challenging. And, and, um, so I, I give her a lot of props on that. I'm, I'm, I'm interested, you know, they're going to be in post for the rest of this year. Uh, I'm interested to see how the post process goes. She's got, Are you she's, worried about it. No, I mean, not any more than I would be. It's a, if it's, that's th- three full time days, months, that's about right. Yeah, exactly. Unless, no, yeah. you know, something is like, oh shit, we just found an entire new plot that we could do here. Right. And then it's like, ah, should we do that? We, right. We don't, we don't really have enough money to swing that. And then you end up making weird, hard decisions at the last minute. I, I, I would say that, you know, in a process like this, especially where the thing I would recommend where, and this is kind of just blanket advice to any filmmaker. And I get an I, editor. She's real down with well, the editor, but also, um, don't be in a hurry and don't overwork. I would, I mean, on a, on a purely technical level, uh, go for eight hour days. Don't do 10 hour days. You're going to be, you're going to be so mentally exhausted. Uh, consider four day weeks, you know what I mean? Like for real, like, and then what, at least for the beginning, while you're really just getting in that rough assembly footage, um, you know, when we had Jessica Hernandez on here, editor of the punk singer, that process as she described it was fast, you know what I mean? Cause they were, they needed to get it done. And at that point it was out of, uh, it was out of Kathleen Hanna's hands and it was in Jessica and, um, her, her, her producer. I know I, I can uh, anyway. name escapes me, but it was just her and her producer in their, in her apartment and just plowing through it. I don't recommend that for this one. I feel like this one you need to, you know, the work needs to be consistent, but don't burn yourself out, especially too soon. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and especially, you know, the thing with a lot of other autobiographical docs, it's usually just the filmmaker on their own and not even a crew. She is, Kulap is, has advantages in the sense that she's got a great infrastructure underneath her. She's, um, you know, one of her, you know, and this, you know, her, she has a very supportive husband, the comedian Scott Ackerman. And one of her producers is June Diane Raphael, who's also on the Airwolf Network. And her husband is, um, she's a great comedian on her own right, but her husband is a uh, uh, Paul Shear and they have great friends that are more than willing to help them out. And, and, uh, and yeah, she's got a big creative family. Yeah. She's got a big creative family of, of legitimately brilliant people. So, uh, even though you don't necessarily associate com, uh, comedy and podcasting with skills that translate to documentary films, filmmaking, as I think we can say at friends in your head of doing this for five plus years and unleashing thousands of hours of content over the last five years. Um, you know, this has helped me in, in my skills and I would say kind of helped everybody in, in theirs just discussing storytelling, 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 storytelling. It's just a matter of, of the thing. What would you, um, what are your kind of hopes for, for the film? Like not just coming out and I, I don't, I don't mean just like, you know, uh, from a success level, but just from a, from a storytelling level, like, um, what would you like to see? And what would you afraid? You know, what do you not want to see? It's weird, man. Cause like it's really iffy to, be hopeful about your expectations for someone else's story about their inner self. Cause you know, God, no, she's going to like write a Kafka thing or something like you know, it, it could be anything. Sure. And whatever has actually happened in her life and how she actually feels about it is the material she has to work with. You know, it would be, uh, I would say for one thing, critically not to be disingenuous and create shit just for the sake of the story. But you know, this is the sort of thing that's going to ride on the, auspices of how cinematically she can tell it so if she can get the real story onto a dvd while making it interesting and a film i mean you're always talking about the you know the powerpoint or the, the pedestal yeah, test yeah well yeah it's, it's, or, yeah, the like, lectern she, like the lectern, it, right? the lectern test if yeah. she can get it past that threshold and it's a film that's worth watching unto itself um, and couldn't have been equally covered on an episode of this american life or a right. powerpoint or a lecture at a lectern and it's actually like, this is a movie. It was meant to be a movie and it sings as a result of being a movie. 
you know, that's the sort of thing that can really be effective. Right. And, you know, the trick would be just keep it honest and keep it interesting. And that's, it's a tough line to walk, man. I, I have full faith she can pull it off, but it's going to be a hell of an editorial process. And you never know what's going to, you know, what, what exactly do you go from act two to act three on? And it's, you know, so on and so forth. Like right. it could be that or it could be this, which one's the better one. And you just get in your head about it. We, you know, I think you, I, I think, uh, you know, a film I've, I've referenced a couple times on here is a uh, Stevie by, um, by Steve case or not Steve case, Steve James, Steve James, director of hoop dreams and most recently the interrupters, which, uh, biggest Oscar snub in the last 10 years, in my opinion. Um, Interrupters was outstanding. No, Bad Grandpa was nominated, so it's that. Uh, yeah, then, uh, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. whatever you just said. <laughs> but but uh, uh, Stevie is not necessarily... It is, but it isn't autobiographical. I, I mentioned it before, but Steve Stevie is about the fact that Steve James um, was involved in a Big Brother program when he was younger. He goes back to find his former little brother through the program. And in telling Stevie's story, he's really telling his own as well. And part of that process was you know, his editor did not let him off the hook. You know, his editor would point blank tell him like, you're being a cock here. Like you're like, then we need to show this and this, and it's fine. It's fine that you were, it's understandable. You know, it's a, it's a fucked up situation, but yeah. we can't shy away from, uh, but, you from know, this stuff. Make decisions. However, you're gonna, that's an interesting point. I wouldn't have thought of that, but that's a good point. Like it's not that in, in Steve's case, it's dude, you can't be a cock. Like, no man, whatever's the honest thing. Right. Do, do that. Yeah. It's just that, there needs to be someone in the room with the authority to say, "Yeah, dude, you're being a cock." And and in a lot of cases, that just one so that the movie doesn't get away. Like, there has to be a certain amount of, you know, self awareness. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just. I mean, I guess auteur theory could be fun, but it could also be terrifying, or reared, and just like spirally and, you know, that's a, and that's. A, I'm glad you brought that up. Like auteur theory, like a lot of people think that documentaries are probably the most auteuristic in a lot of ways because the director is just, you know, is so the director is basically the director and the editor. This is what a lot of people do think. But I, I think that, well, plus everyone knows who Michael Moore is. Right. But I think that like ignores the fact that documentaries are written. Now it's not the same writing process behind narrative features. It's a very different writing process. It's, it's, it's looking at all the footage and through a combination of story beats and story notes and transcription, literally assembling you know, and you have to assemble it and you still have to adhere to the same rhythms and beats and narrative flows that a, a scripted movie goes through. But it's like if, if she films, you know, she filmed a bunch of cool out, filmed a bunch of footage in Laos. So it's okay. Here's our Laos pod. How do we whittle that story down into something? You know, here she's still, you know, she's still in uh, Minnesota or visiting her old family and here she is at home in LA. And so how do all those things flow into one another? And you do rewrite it. And usually it's a little more efficient to just rewrite in the edit, just immediately just start fucking around in different sequences. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big proponent of getting away from the computer and indexing cards and yeah. going to the wall and doing the same shit you would do, you know, not necessarily you're the, trying to break a story. Yeah. Just like you're trying to break a story and just based on the footage that you got. And, and that in a lot of ways informs your reshoots and your pickups, you know, it's like we have a hole here. Well, like, well, what can we do? Maybe we can go talk to this person. Let's see what happens. Hopefully it fills that hole. I, know. I don't know if she a she, couple of times she was mentioning uh, like uh, she had gone through therapy and shamans and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's something she's had even considered or would want to. Uh, I'm sure it plays get, a part. Get, get on get on screen. But it might be a fascinating, fascinating. a fascinating yeah. interview. Yeah. If you know, I don't know if I don't even know if it's if it's legal to be like, <laughs> I, I, I implore you to please break our right. doctor patient confidentiality and please tell them the shit you think that's going on not, I, I don't, in my thing. Yeah. Cause it, it would be an extra, if nothing else, a really excellent color 
interview. I'm not just, trying to be glib, but I don't know if shamans have like a Hippocratic oath or anything like that. You know well, what I mean? Therapists, like, yeah, yeah, therapists. Yeah, therapists. Do. True, absolutely. Shamans, I don't. I couldn't tell you. I, you know, I know that. I know that therapy sessions. That is a great point. I, I do know that some yeah, a lot of therapy sessions do end up on screen and on camera in documentaries and in films. I mean, mm. Metallica is some kind of monster. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean that ent- that entire movie is one giant therapy session. Yeah, man, to this be- is weird. Like it's such a weird line to walk because you, you want it can be amazing, but it could also be navel gazy, and it's just a matter of the tone. T- and that's the and, and that's engagement the thi- and, and grabbing the audience. And and I guess the most important thing in this kind of case is having the audience like really, really into your head at the beginning of the movie, so that it feels like these things are happening to them. Right. Uh, this is one of those things where engagement is going to be the single indicator of whether or not someone ends up liking it. And if they're engaged, they'll be in. And if they're not engaged, it it might not even have a chance Mm -hmm. to get them because, you know, when a story is this small, you know, it's, this is, it's it's big in stakes, but very small in scope. This is all happening in her head for the most part. Right. Her family. The only thing the audience has to latch onto is the identity and the reactions of the person who it's all happening to. Right. So if they can get into that headspace with her, like very early in the in the show, that would be great. Like I, that would be the way to really solidify the second and third act. I think it's you know I think it's gonna be interesting, uh, you know, because I mean it, to me it makes the most sense to kind of end up in Laos and you know from what she from what it sounds like she meets her father in Laos. We know for a fact she meets her father. She's you know she's publicly said as much. Uh, but there's I mean there's some stuff she told us sort of off recording. We're not gonna repeat. But there's obviously a lot more twists and turns. It's not just the fact that she has a, a different dad. It's it's layer by layer things get will be revealed and and I think it's gonna be fascinating to see how she juggles that because it doesn't just from the little bits that we know, we don't know everything, but just from the little bits we know, it's going to be really interesting to see how a first time, um, feature film director, uh, handles that, that handles the appealing of the layers back. Um, to a degree, I'm, I'm kind of going through this currently on my film and, um, you know, it's I'm, without going into too much detail. I, I sympathize with the, the, the twists and turns that can draw you into a more personal story. I mean, and I'm fascinated by the fact that she wasn't going to be on camera at first, but, you know, again, how can you go through this journey and not be, you know what I mean? Like, how does that, how does that even happen? Um, so I wish her nothing but the best. Uh, and if, you know, you, if you are into autobiographical docs, I would recommend the ones that I already mentioned. The other one I would really mention that came out just a few years ago is I am, um, really interesting, weird documentary, uh, Tom Shadyak, you don't know that name off the top of your I head. I know that name. You do know that name. How do you know that name? I don't know. He is the writer of Ace Ventura, The Nutty Professor, Liar Liar, Bruce Almighty. Uh, and he directed most of those as well. But he was one of Jim Carrey's like main filmmaking um, uh, collaborators through most of the 90s. The story is about in 2007, he gets into this really gnarly bicycle accident in Virginia. And through and I'm, I'm so glad films are exploring this more, but post post concussion syndrome, it's not just, Oh, I get headaches. It's, it's seriously, it just completely changes your, your brain chemistry. Um, and it made it really, it made it really, really hard to, for him to just kind of live. And it leads him on this giant existential quest. He conducts interviews with like, Everybody from Noam Chomsky to Howard Zinn, Tom Hartman, Desmond Tutu, uh, and it's it's framed around to. I mean, he just basically it, this incident essentially opens his eyes 
to just a much more existential life view. And he ends up asking, it's framed around these two questions. Um, what is wrong with the world and what can we do about it? So talk about for a first time documentary. Now, again, he's a filmmaker, but um, for a first time documentary filmmaker uh, doing largely an autobiographical documentary coming out swinging, coming out swinging um, the, you know, the, a good chunk of that pull is an autobiographical, but it's certainly rooted in autobiography. And I would recommend checking that out. I'm, I don't. I don't think it's a perfect film, but in terms of ambition for your first doc, I, and especially one that is so personal, I, there, there's not a lot. I feel like you can go in. Uh, the other one, uh, Skin I'm In. Uh, that one came out 2000. Yeah, it was pretty recently. A couple the of, Skin last, I'm In. The Skin I'm In. Last the, couple the of years. said it sounds like it rhymes with cinnamon. 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 Uh, no, the Skin I'm In. Uh, this guy. Uh, what was his name? His um, Fox. Uh, Broderick Fox. Broderick Fox, uh, in 2005, he, he was discovered on a pair of subway tracks in Berlin with uh, severe head trauma and blood alcohol level of 0.47. And Jesus. he, he kind of came out of that going, yeah, what am I doing with my life? And he, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's shot over like six or seven countries and it's just like, it, it really, you know, sort of idea of like fracturing your identity and sort of rediscovering who you are. That's like a really, really big one. Um, we'll have a list of all these in the forum uh, and you can all check them out. In the meantime, I would hardly, uh, hardly, I would heartily recommend going to uh, Indiegogo, looking up origin story uh, and giving generously to this. I think, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's not necessarily a lot of like quality vetting on Kickstarter quality or, or Indiegogo in terms of like first time documentary filmmakers. Uh, but I feel good about this one. I feel I get, I get the good vibes off this one and I get a very good vibe off of Kulop. And I, I think as much as you can be prepared to make a film, she has gone about this very smart. I, I feel like she's done everything right up until this point. And now it's just literally letting her story kind of come out of her and doing the work and doing the legwork. And I've, all the faith in the world that she's going to do that. So Teague, did you have anything else or any other last parting notes for that? Not really. Just that it was, you know, it was cool to swing over to Earwolf and, and see how they do their thing. Right. Uh, it's badass and really cool. And it's a sweet setup over there. And all their shows are great as everyone on the internet knows. As everyone, uh, you know, probably a good chunk of people listening to this already know how great Earwolf is. And we want to thank them again. We want to thank Kulab Velisok and Lauren Tyree for giving us their time. Ladies You're getting so badass with her last name. <laughs> I'm just I'm a pro man. You're dropping the mic I'm every time on that. Well, I mentioned my my uh, you know my my brother's mother was named Goucher, so I had to like I had yeah. to make sure I got that right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> out the gate, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Documentality, part of the Friends in Your Head Network at friendsinyourhead.com. Go through the archives, check out past episodes of uh, Documentality. You can also listen to our sister podcast, What Are You Doing Movie, The Intermission, and Uncomposed. Join the forums, be a part of the conversation. We'll have links to all of uh, these films and various things there, and it's a great great. Community community of people and really good conversation in all the films uh you can go find us on twitter twitter at friends in er head uh and you can go facebook uh facebook.com forward slash friends in your head we have paypal uh on the front page not asking just saying but really kind of asking uh that's about it my for documentality my name is eddie doty i'm t christy thank you again good night good night see i'm the sound effects guy you're evolving into like uh the dude from police academy territory um michael winslow michael winslow yeah that's Wow. Trendsinyourhead.com.